Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you today. I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to get right into the message today. If you have a Bible, if not, go to your phone or we'll put it on the screen for you. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. As you're turning there, you know, we've been talking about this idea of I lead, that God is calling you and I to lead. And so we learned last week that we're going to dive into the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah is a beautiful character study of leadership. And what's interesting about Nehemiah is that his name, Nehemiah in the Hebrew, it means Yahweh or God comforts. And you know, there's nothing more comforting in a home, in a business, in a nation, in an organization. There's, no, no, there's nothing more comforting than having great godly leadership. When there's not good godly leadership, it's the opposite. There's, in fact, we read a verse last week that says there's sorrow. And so if God is going to bring comfort into your situation, then God needs to raise up godly leadership. And so he's calling us to stand up and lead. And last week, as we looked at Nehemiah, we learned three principles. We learned that in order to be a leader, there are three things we have to do. Number one, I see. Number two, I care. And number three, I pray. And we're going to continue with that idea this weekend. In fact, why don't you stand to your feet? I want to invite those that are joining us in Hawaii and Texas and Latvia and San Diego. Why don't you stand right there in your home as we read this passage together in Nehemiah? You know, as you're standing, let me just give you a little quick joke I used in the uh, leadership class. Some of you that are taking that will remember this, but here's the story. There were two antennas. They went up onto a roof. They met... They fell in love and they got married. The wedding wasn't much, but the reception was amazing. Hey? What do you think? Eh? Somebody say, why are you saying that, Pastor Jerry? Well, you know what? I'm just praying right now that whether you're in this room or you're joining us online, that you and I are going to kind of tune our antenna to be receptive to hear what God wants to say to us. So will you join me as we read this passage together right now? Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verse 11. This is the end of the first chapter when Nehemiah is praying about this situation. You see, Nehemiah knew that his city, Jerusalem, was broken down and destroyed, and it needed to be repaired. The walls needed to be rebuilt. And when he heard the news, he realized that God was calling him to stand up and lead and go back there and fix the problem. But he needed a miracle for it to happen. So let's read together. Ready? If you're joining us online, you read as well. Here we go. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit. We tune our antennas, the frequency of our hearts, into what the Spirit is wanting to do and say. We surrender to you right now. God, I ask that you would anoint every word spoken, that people would leave having this confidence that they didn't hear a pastor preach a sermon, but they heard God's voice speak to them. So speak to us today. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Can you shout amen? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, April. What's interesting, we learned last weekend that to be a leader, if I lead, then I have to see, I have to care, and I have to pray. And as you read this passage that we read a moment ago, we discover that Nehemiah, this person of leadership, 
began with prayer. And I want to give you three points today that are going to help you and I. Basically, what I'm doing today is I'm just going to do some teaching on leadership. Because God's calling us to lead. No matter, listen, no matter where we are in life, there's opportunity for us to lead. Maybe you're a student. Can I tell you that God can use you to lead and impact the people in your life? Maybe other students who are struggling. Maybe their parents are going through the divorce. Maybe they're messing around with drugs and alcohol and they need someone to be an influence in their life. Maybe you're a parent and you need to lead your family. Maybe you're involved in business and you need to lead in your sphere of influence. Maybe you have a ministry calling whether it's to serve as an usher or teach a class or be a, a pastor or leader. God wants you and I to lead. So we're going to learn how to lead today. Let me ask a question. How many of you want to step into 2015, possess all that God has for you, and you want to be the leader God's called you to be? Let me see your hand. Amen. All right. We just had people from Sweden join us and Fresno and Colorado. Isn't that cool? Amen. So here's the three principles we're going to learn today about leadership. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you each principle, and then I'm going to kind of unpack that principle and explain it, break it down for you. As we look at Nehemiah, here's the first thing that I discovered as we continue on in the story. It's not only I see, I care, and I pray, but number, the next one is this. Write this down if you have your notes, and it's if you're a leader, if you want to say, I lead, then you have to say this, I risk. I risk. In fact, I want to read to you now Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, early the following spring. Now, we're going to talk about that concept in a minute because he began his prayer time three months earlier. Now, here we have early in the following spring in the month of Nisan. That's the beginning of the new year, the Jewish new year. So it's very apropos to where we are right now in our calendar, right? We just come out of the new year. It says, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. You should highlight or underline that. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? That's another uh, phrase you should probably underline or highlight. We're going to skip to verse 6. He asked the king for help. The king says, how long will you be gone? And then it says this. The king with the queen beside him asked, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Now, when we read this part of the story, it gives us a little insight into leadership. Because here's what we discover with leadership. If you're going to be leader, there are going to come moments and times when you have to take bold steps of faith and you have to step out and take a risk. You can't play it safe as a leader. There are times that you have to take a risk. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Jared, why is that a risk? Here's why it's a risk. Because in the Persian culture of kings and the courts of kings, if you served as a worker in the court of the king... First of all, you didn't bring your trouble into the court of the king. And secondly, you definitely didn't ask for a favor from the king. In fact, if you asked for a favor from the king, most likely two things were going to happen. You were either going to be thrown in jail or you were going to be executed and your head was going to be chopped off. So by Nehemiah being sad in the court of the king and by Nehemiah asking for the king's help, he was taking a huge risk. 
Let me tell you, when we look at leadership and we study Nehemiah, we discover that leadership requires risk. Now, I'm going to break down this concept and help us to understand why and what risking um, really involves when it comes to leadership. So I came up with two subtitles to kind of help you understand that, all right? I want you to write this idea. What does it mean to risk as a leader? What does that involve? Well, here's the first point. You ready? Write this down. Leadership pays attention to the wind. Leadership pays attention to the wind. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, maybe you've heard of an animal called a locust. Locusts are found in certain regions, and what happens? They come in, and they eat all the stock, all the vegetation, and they destroy the plants of that area. And if there's locusts, it can destroy the crops. But here's what you may not know, because first of all, a locust kind of looks like a dragonfly. Here's what you may not know about locusts. Locusts can't fly. They only float. They have wings, but they're not capable of flying on their own. Here's how they fly. When the wind blows, they jump. And they spread their wings, and it's through the blowing of the wind that they capitalize on this moment when everything is moving the way they need to move. And when we study Nehemiah, here's what we discover, because here's what we think about leadership and risk. Sometimes we think, well, gosh, that person, you know, they're a leader, and as a leader, you just got to have that bold faith and take a big step, you know, a big risk. But let me tell you, good leadership doesn't take risky situations without calculation to go with it, because good leadership takes calculated risk. And calculated risk is when you pay attention to the wind. How was Nehemiah paying attention to the wind? Well, here's what we discover. Nehemiah, first of all, he didn't jump right into, um, you know, he didn't hear from God and say, oh, God, you've called me to lead and help rebuild the walls, and then start praying, and the next day run into the court of the king. He waited three months, and he was waiting for his moment. He was waiting for the wind to blow. And suddenly, one day as he's in the court of the king, the king notices that he's sad. What is that? Well, that is a signal. It's a sign to him that maybe the wind is blowing. If you play golf, I love the game of golf. One of the things you do when you're getting ready to set up for your shot is you grab a little piece of grass and you throw it in the air. And the reason you do that is you want to know where the wind is blowing. If it's blowing at you, if it's blowing behind you, if it's right to left, if it's left to right, because it's going to influence your shot. And Nehemiah didn't just take a risk, but he paid attention to the wind. And as he stood in the court of the king, after three months of prayer, suddenly he notices the wind's blowing because the king says, hey, why are you sad? And now, why is he terrified? Because he knows his moment of risk has come. But it's a calculated moment because the king has asked him, what is it that's going on? Not only does the king ask him if he's sad, but then when he tells him what's going on, the king says, how can I help? So he goes for it. He doesn't stand on the edge. He doesn't keep looking. He doesn't keep waiting, but he goes for it. He jumps. He launches. And then the king responds. The other thing that's interesting is the Bible says that the queen was sitting next to him. That was important too. You know why? Guess how many know men that we're much more compassionate when our wives are with us? Come on, say amen, y'all, all right. 
The problem with many times when it comes to leadership in our lives is that we just get a vision, and then as soon as we get a vision, we run off. Like I said last week, we run onto the field, but we don't even know which direction the game is going. And we have no plan. So the point I want to make today is that you and I, if we're going to be a good leader, we have to realize there are moments and times when we have to take a risk, a step of faith. But good leadership pays attention to the wind. In fact, let me show you. Go with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. This book was written by Solomon, the wisest man in the world. God had given him supernatural wisdom. And here's the cool thing. He's talking about timing. He says, there's a time for everything. And in the midst of him talking about timing, here's what he says. He says, and the wise heart. How many want to be wise? How many want to be a wise leader? The wise heart. Now look at what this says. This is is powerful. The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. The point is simply this, when it comes to leadership, it's not just knowing what to do, he knew what to do. He was going to go to the king and ask for a favor. Leadership isn't just knowing what to do, it's knowing when to do it. Y'all with me? So it's about taking risks. Maybe in your situation as you look at, maybe you know you need to lead when it comes to your family. And there's something going on with your children. But instead of just coming home from church and walking into their room and getting in their face and pointing your finger, maybe what you need to do is begin to pray for a little while and wait for a moment when their heart is softened and when they're reaching out for advice. And Why? Because leadership is about taking risks, but it's knowing when to take it. Because leadership pays attention to the wind. If you get the point, say amen. Let me just give you this quote. The pessimist complains about the wind... The optimist expects the wind to change, but the leader adjusts his sail. So here's the question. Is your thumb in the air? When it comes to whatever God's called you to do in 2015 in leadership, is your thumb in the air? Are you paying attention to the wind? See, many times we, we, we jump too late because the wind is already blown and we missed our moment. Or maybe we've jumped too early. I love this quote, too. It says this, procrastination is opportunity's natural assassin. Leadership pays attention to the wind. Let me give you another little thought to unpack I risk. Because Nehemiah took a huge risk. But leadership not only pays attention to the wind, leadership, look at this, spends capital wisely. Will you write that down? Leadership spends capital wisely. When we read through this story, here's what it says. It says that Nehemiah had never been sad in front of the king before. You know what that tells me? Here's what it tells me. It tells me that Nehemiah understood this principle. Because whether you know this or not, every relationship, every circumstance in your life, it could be, you know, one of the the people that, that buys and sells with your company. It could be a coworker. It could be your boss. It could be your spouse. Every relationship is like a bank account. It's either in the black or it's in the red. In other words, you've either deposited something into it and you have a deposit there of equity relationally or you've spent your capital and you're in a negative when it comes to relational equity. 
And the challenge and the problem with a lot of leadership is that we've spent all of our chips or all of our equity and all of our capital in the relationship. And then when the time comes when we need to jump and the time comes when we need to make a withdrawal, just like he had to do with the king, he was going to go to the king and ask for a favor. But here's what we know. Nehemiah had never spent his capital. He had never been sad in the presence of the king. He had never asked for a favor from the king before. Instead, he was a good employee. He showed up. He was trustworthy. He ate the food for the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. How many know that's, that's a scary job? So all of these years, he showed up on time. He did his work. He never left early. He was happy when he was around the king. He'd made investment after investment after investment. And when the time came for him to make a withdrawal, he could do it because he hadn't spent his capital. And there's a lot of us that want to lead, but the problem is is that the area that we want to lead, the bank account is in the red. And listen, when you want someone to follow you, you're making a withdrawal. So the question is, where do you stand when it comes to equity in the area of leadership God's called you to? I risk, you take a risk, but it's a calculated risk because you know something's in the bank account. Y'all with me? I know this is simplistic, but it's also pretty profound. Let me show you a really cool verse that sometimes we don't equate to this area. It's found in Proverbs, Proverbs 11.25. Look what the scripture says. It says, the generous will what? Prosper. Now, this next part is is powerful. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, that's a, a supernatural, profound principle. God is saying this, that if you make a deposit in others, I will make sure somehow supernaturally that a deposit's made back into your account. That's one reason why we give. That's one reason why we make sure that we're taking the resources that God has given us and we're giving it into the kingdom. What does the scripture say? Seek first God's kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So when we sow, we put ourselves in a position supernaturally for God to refill the bank account. Not just, you know, in a monetary way, but in, in a holistic life way. God gives back those who refresh. So here's the question. Maybe you're sitting here today and you realize God has called you to lead. Maybe you're watching in Fresno and you're, you're in Bakersfield or Colorado or Sweden and you're looking at an area of your life where you need to lead, but as you evaluate it, you realize that maybe there's a, a, a red number in the bank account. What do I do? Well, here's the good news. If you need a deposit, then you need to make a deposit. So all you have to do is start depositing into others. Start caring about others. Start making sure that you're you're making a deposit into your children, making a deposit into your coworkers. And here's the cool thing. As soon as you begin to make a deposit somewhere else, God will make sure that he makes a deposit into your account. Isn't that good news? Because leadership says, if I'm going to lead, I risk. And we look at Nehemiah. Here's what we learn. Leaders pay attention to the wind. They learn how to jump. They see. Let me tell you, if you're, you're you know, praying about an endeavor or a decision to make, start looking for the signals and the signs of God's grace and favor. Start looking for the windows to open and the doors to crack and the opportunities to come. And secondly, 
make sure that you're paying attention to the capital, the equity in that situation. And maybe instead of making a withdrawal, maybe it's time to start making some deposits and watch how God will supernaturally fill the account and the time will come, just like Nehemiah, where you can step out and he will be with you and you'll soar. Somebody say amen. It's good preaching. Say amen. Okay, so the first principle, the leadership, is I risk. You ready for the second principle? It's not only I risk, but I plan. All right? I plan. Now, here's the thing. This is the one that we don't like. This is the one that's not exciting. Taking a step of faith, jumping, that's exciting. But I plan? Well, let's take a look at this story with Nehemiah, and we're going to learn some pretty cool things. Look at what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. The king asked, well, how can I help you? I love this. With a prayer to the God of heaven. So in other words, before he even said a word, he was already, already praying. He'd been praying for, for three months. But here's what we're going to discover. He hadn't only been praying for three months. He'd been planning and preparing for three months. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, there's the, there, there right there is the proof of the deposit. If you're pleased with your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him, strategic, he saw a God moment here, asked, how long will you be gone and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Verse 7, I also said to the king, and if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And if it pleased the king, give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house for myself. And now look at what it says at the end, which is awesome. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. That right there is proof that when he jumped, the wind was blowing. Now, I risk is the first step. What's the second one? I plan. Why? Do we know that Nehemiah began to plan? Well, there's some obvious things, and let me give you, I'm going to unpack and break down this idea of what it means to I plan, all right? Here's the principle. Write this down. I plan is this. This is what leadership's about. Leadership is always ready for the audition. Leadership is ready for the audition. Can I tell you that when someone wins American Idol, 99% of the time the reason they won American Idol is not because they'd sing every once in a while in the shower and one day they're walking by this long line of people and say, hey, what's going on? Well, we're auditioning for American Idol and they randomly audition and then they win. No, they win because usually they've had voice lessons. They win usually because they've been in a band. They win because they were in choir growing up. They win because they have studied, and when the audition came, they were ready for the audition. And when you look at Nehemiah, it's obvious in this passage that Nehemiah was ready for his audition. In fact, the language that he uses when he first talks to the king, it, it makes it obvious and clear that he knows what he's doing when he makes his pitch. 
Because the king says, why are you sad? And you know what he says? Here's his exact language. He says, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, why is that a clear indication that he had prepared for his pitch, his audition? Here's why. Because the, the, the Jewish people and the culture had a tremendous, profound respect for the tombs of their ancestors. And there are a lot of cultures that could care less of the tombs of their ancestors, but the Persian culture was very much like the Jewish people, and they had a tremendous, profound respect for the tombs of their fathers. So when he was asked why he was sad, he didn't just say, well, I'm sad because I want to go back to my home country. No, he was intentional with his pitch. He said, hey, why wouldn't I be sad when the tombs of my fathers is destroyed? The very fact that he used that language was intentional because he knew that it would cause the king to be sympathetic towards his situation. I planned. I'm ready for the audition. In fact, if you read through the story, you see he was very, very prepared because what he did was then he went on to say, and listen, if you help me, here's what I need. I need you to write me a letter so that as I go through these other cities and these other territories that I'll be protected and I'll get to where I need to go. And not only that, you need to give me a letter to Asaph who is the keeper of the forest. He's the guy in charge of the forest nearest to Jerusalem. Now let me tell you, back in those days, it wasn't like today where you could just Google and say, the, you know, who's the keeper of the forest? No, he had to go to the area where they had the, the, the library and he had to do research and then he had to study and find out where the closest you know, territory was to get lumber and who was the guy in charge. It took probably months for him to figure out, at least three, for him to figure out who the person was. So when he came to the king, he knew what he was doing. He was prepared. He knew how long he needed to go. He knew what he needed to, to get there. He knew what he needed when he got there. He needed who to talk to when he got there. Leadership isn't just taking a risk. It's being prepared. It's saying, I plan for my audition. Y'all with me? Say amen. I, I'm going I'm to illustrate this. I have a friend, and his sister is the um, personal assistant to a billionaire. And this billionaire is the guy who owns the Seattle Seahawks. How many know he's a sad billionaire right now? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, he's not that sad. He's got a billion reasons to be happy. Well, I'm sure he's sad right now because his team lost. We, I don't even want to go into it. But let's just say, and I'm going to give you a story. Let's just say that this, this lady, who is his personal assistant, that, that she really has a desire to do more than being a personal assistant. Now, if you're a personal assistant, that may be God's calling for you for the rest of your life. But in her life, she has this desire to do more. Maybe it's to launch this company or start a business. And her and her brother have a plan one day to do that. But they know in order to do that, they're going to need the funding to get this business off the ground. So they're going to have to find an investor. Oh, so she's the personal assistant to a billionaire. So one day, the billionaire is talking to her, and he's kind of moved with happiness and joy because of what a great job she does for him. And he goes, you know, you're really good at your job. Is this all that you want to do? Or, or is it possible that you want to maybe do something else? What's in your heart to do one day? If you could do anything. And you know what she could do? She'd be like, well, you know, I don't know. 
I've thought about it a little bit. You know, maybe one day I'll own a company, or maybe one day I could start, or I could work for, or I'd go back to school. Or, but instead, because she's a leader, and she knows that she has to take a risk, and she knows that she has to plan, she goes, well, you know, it's interesting that you asked me that question, because, you know, my brother and I have been thinking about launching a company. Oh, really? What kind of company is it? How, what's it going to... Well, hold on just a second. And then she opens her bag and pulls out a five-year business plan. He's like, well, what's this? He's like, well, you know, we did a market study, and, you know, if we launch this company, this is the share of the market that's not being tapped into right now, and this is the amount of money it's going to take in year one, the capital, to get it off the ground. Here's the profit return over the next four years if you evaluate it, and we're looking for this amount of money, and it's going to take this kind of person to lead it, and this is going to be, let me tell you something, that's a whole lot different than the person that's not ready for the audition. And how many times do you and I feel a calling to leadership to do something, but when we get to our audition, we're like, well, you know, one day I could go back to school. You see, leadership isn't just I see, I care, and I pray, but it's I risk and I plan. I'll say it this way. Investigate before you initiate. Let me show you a verse that is, a, is kind of a beautiful parallel to this idea. And then we're going we're gonna to dive into the next, next part. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. What's cool about this verse is it's a verse about prayer. But if you think about it, it in its context, it's talking about going to God and praying. It's kind of like making a pitch to heaven as to what it is that you're believing or wanting or desiring. It's very similar, like Nehemiah went to the king, the one who had the authority and the power to, to give him his request, to empower him with the grace, everything he needed for what he desired. Y'all with me? So you can see a beautiful parallel, and let's look at this verse now, James chapter 4, verse 2, because it talks about asking, and it talks about why we don't get, or why we don't we're not the one chosen in the audition. Look what it says. It says, you do, yet you do not have because you do not ask. One of the reasons why we don't get what we want or one of the reasons why we, we aren't able to see the breakthrough and accomplishment is because we don't, we don't ever give the pitch. You have not because you ask not. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, let's look what it says next. Or you do ask and you, won't, you don't receive because you ask, what's the word? What's the word? That you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, here's what the Greek word for amiss means. Miserably. So here's the bottom line. You're a bad asker. You're a terrible asker. And one of the reasons you're a terrible asker that it goes on to to explain is because when you ask, it's always just for you and it's never about anything else. In fact, let me just throw this in. Could it be that God's release of divine grace, power, and authority to accomplish something in your life as a leader is waiting for you to get outside of yourself and do something for somebody? That's preaching. Amen. Come on. Preach it, Pastor Jerry. Just just throwing that out there. Just, Just an idea. 
In other words, is it that we always go to God and we just want something for us so that we can consume it? Or is it that God says, hey, I want to bless you and I want to empower you because you've got a vision to do something, not just for you, but for everybody or for somebody else. Maybe I want to help you because you're a leader. In fact, God's calling right now to let us know. <laughs> He's saying amen to that right now. I think that's what it says. Just listen to the voicemail. Leadership, I risk, I plan. Are you ready for your audition? Let me ask you a question. You and your spouse are struggling right now, and you need God to, to heal your marriage. Are you ready for your audition? Maybe that audition is that you need to go to counseling together. Instead of marching out of service, getting in the car, arguing about where you're going to go eat, and then saying, we need to go to counseling. (laughs) Maybe you need to be nice this week. This week, I had to make a deposit. Today is my 23rd uh, wedding anniversary. Today. (laughs) Thank you, but... This week, I had to make a deposit because I'd made a big withdrawal. (laughs) So I bought the nicest bouquet of roses that I could find this week, and I brought them to the vet like this. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Maybe instead of getting in the car and after you argue about where you're going to go eat, we need to go to counseling. Maybe instead, what needs to happen is over the next two or three weeks, you start praying. God, what is it we need to do to make our marriage better? God, what do I need to do to step up to the plate and lead? God, maybe, maybe what you want me to do is to start making a deposit and to have some conversation instead of arguing all the time. Maybe even buy them a gift or, or maybe go out to dinner with them and, and suggest it and go to the movie they want to go see. And Maybe this week, what I need to do is continue to pray and actually go online and find out some counselors that are out there and available and get a recommendation from some. And when the moment's right, and when the opportunity is there as a leader, I'm going to take the risk, but I'm going to take the risk because I, I see that the wind is blowing and I've done a little planning and preparation because leadership is about risk and it's about a plan. Say amen. amen. All right, let's get the last one in. You ready? I'm going to try to wrap this up in five minutes. How many know miracles still happen? I risk, I plan, and here's the last one I show. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to dive into Nehemiah, and we're going to learn some more. But I show. What does I show mean? Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 16. Nehemiah now has made it to Jerusalem. He's gone through the territories. He's got the letter to Asaph, the, the keeper of the forest. He's got all of the people that he's recruited to go with him. He's now in the city, and look what it says. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. Let me just stop and say what had happened is Nehemiah had went out by himself and went around the wall at night. And he firsthand took a look at the wall himself so he knew how bad it was. And I was going to talk about it in the point of planning and preparing, investigating, but Nehemiah didn't send someone else to do the work for him. And sometimes one of the problems we have in leadership is that we get wrong information because we send someone else to do all the investigation. And when they do the investigation, they see it a different way. And and so we don't necessarily have the right information. That's why you've got to investigate before you initiate. 
Maybe instead of sending your employee to find out why there's a problem with that person that you're working with their company, maybe you need to go and find out and talk to the person because maybe there's something you can do because it's through the investigation that God gives us the revelation so that we can step in and fulfill the, the plan. So he had been out and he had looked. And look what it says. It says, I had been out there, or what I had been doing, they didn't know. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. In other words, he hadn't really shared the complete vision yet with his team. He told the king, but he hadn't really, really told everybody on his team. But now... I said to them, in other words, now I'm going to start talking about, I'm going to cast the vision, I'm going to show them what it is we're supposed to do. He says, but now I said, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about how God's gracious hand had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And when they heard me cast the vision and show the way... The Bible says they replied at once and said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so the work began. I'm going to break this point down for you. I show. You ready? I'm going to try to do it quickly. And I'm going to do it with a passage in the Bible if you want to go to Proverbs 29. But here's, here's kind of a little sub point for you. Ready? Leadership casts vision. Leadership not only has to see there's a problem come up with a way to solve it, but they have to talk about and show and give a picture and cast the vision of where it is you're going and what it is you're trying to do. That's an element of leadership that we have to develop. And I want to read to you a verse. I want the worship team to come. I want to read to you a verse that the Lord kind of gave me some really cool insight on. It's a verse that many of us have heard before. It's found in Proverbs 29, verse 18, and here's what it says. It says, where there is no vision. How many have heard this verse before? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, here's what you need to know about vision. I'm going to give you my definition for the word vision. The word vision in the Hebrew, it means sight. It means revelation. But the root word out of Strong's is, uh, is a word which means this. Not only sight and revelation, but it's to gaze and to contemplate and to see prophetically. So if you have vision, here's my definition of this vision. Where there, is, where there isn't this kind of vision, the people perish. Vision is to see and to understand with supernatural glasses. So you look at a situation of your kids fighting and you realize it's not about the thing that the one took from the other, but it's about selfishness. You see beyond the surface to the issue. It's to see, to understand with supernatural glasses. So when it comes to leadership, we have to cast vision that's beyond the surface. It sees it's the bigger issue. And then it goes on to say this, where there is no vision like that, the people perish. Now, other translations say it this way. They say, where there is no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, when there's no vision, the people scatter and they go their own direction. And as I was meditating on this verse, here's what the Lord began to show me. The key to God's favor, blessing, and divine influence and grace is connected to the people. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So what the key in this verse is, is we got to keep the people. 
Why is that important? Well, when two or three gather in his name, I'm there with them. When two or three agree, what does he say? I will answer. What does the scripture say? One can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. What does the scripture say in Psalm 133? It says how good and pleasant it is when the people gather together. For when they gather together, he says, I will release my anointing and I will command a blessing. Right? So the key is the people. So where there's no vision, we lose the people. And when we lose the people, we lose the anointing. And what is anointing? It's the power and the authority to fulfill your purpose. So we lose the anointing and we lose the blessing without the people. And the reason we lose the people is because they're running off. They've cast, their, they've, they've, you'll cast off restraint. They're running off in all directions, fulfilling their own desires rather than being rallied around a corporate desire to go together. But the only way you'll get people to come together under a corporate desire is when they see beyond the surface to the spiritual ramifications and the deeper element of what God is trying to do and bring them to. You see, when we cast vision, what did, what did Nehemiah do? He said, listen, he, he said three things. Write this down. When you cast vision, here's the three things you need to say. You need to say, number one, this is the need, this is the plan, and this is the time. This is the need, this is the plan, this is the time. What did he say? He said, guys, right now there's a problem. The walls have fallen down. And because the walls are down, the enemy can come in and pick us off, our families, all that we've worked hard for. Not only that, it's a disgrace. This is God's city. And we should protect God's city. So there's a need here. Now notice, his vision wasn't for himself, to consume it for himself. He went and he asked. But he asked why. He asked well, not miserably, not badly, because it wasn't about him. It was about a greater thing. He said, listen, the city's broken down. There's a cause. And he said, and so here's the plan. We're going to rebuild these walls. And then what did he say? He said, and this is the time, because here's the deal. Next week, the king may not give me what I need to build the city. Next year, the king may not give me what I need to build the city. But guess what? God's favor, God's time right now. This is a strategic moment right now. And so we need to capitalize on this moment. And corporately, we need to come together because the wind is blowing. We need to jump. We need to, and he casts the vision. And in 52 days, the wall was rebuilt. This is the need. This is the plan. This is the time. I risk. I plan. I show. I love what John Maxwell says. He says this about leadership. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. You see, you don't lead by pointing and telling people someplace to go. You lead by going to that place and making a case. So if God's called you to lead, listen, one of the things maybe for you, your vision as a leader this year is to, for your family, is to have some meals together so that we don't scatter. The kids are getting older. I'm in that way right now. My, I've got a 20-year-old and a 19-year-old and a going to be 17-year-old in a couple weeks and 14-year-old. And so it's harder to have meals together and we need time together. So instead of, you know, every week getting frustrated because well, why aren't you guys coming home for dinner? Why, why, wait a minute, why are you going to your friends? We need to have, instead of doing that and being frustrated, maybe the thing is, listen, we're a family. Someday your friends are going to be gone, but we're still going to be here. 
we're together forever. So here's the deal. Every Thursday night or every Wednesday night is family night, and we're having dinner together, so put it on your calendar. Because see, if you don't, guess what? If you don't make a clear case that, listen, you need family, you need connection, all of that, guess what will happen? Is they will cast off restraint, and they will go their own way, fulfilling their own desire. So you and I have to cast the vision of saying, this is what we need, this is the plan, and this is the time. We could go through example after example after example. Isn't it cool how the Bible is so packed with practical things to help you and I stand up and be the leader God's called us to be? Isn't that awesome?